Hello, and welcome to Glossonomia, conversations about the sounds of speech. I am Philip Thompson, and with me, of course, is... Eric Armstrong. Hello, Phil. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you today? I am well. I think those who listen to the podcast are getting a blow-by-blow of my upper respiratory distress. Uh, but I went to the doctor, and she prescribed me just a, a load, if I can have a clean version of that, a, a large load of antihistamines of various sorts. So we'll see. Maybe I'll get fully dried up by our next podcast. <laughs> I hope so. So uh, today we're talking about choice. choice. And uh, it marks, I think, the last of our diphthongs, discounting the roticity diphthongs. Mm-hmm. And we've sort of covered them already, haven't we? Yeah. So we're pretty close to being done. Diphthongs. Yeah, and and it's a good diphthong. It fits the uh, category that we talked about, I think, last time, talking about price, of being somewhat a wide diphthong. Mm-hmm. It goes from a fairly open, definitely back position to a fairly close, definitely, definitely. front position. And so, if I can just demonstrate it, oi... Oy. And in lengthening it, I probably went past the I point. Right. Uh, we could certainly see it spelled in English with O-I or O-Y. I'm trying to think of other variations, O-I-G-N, maybe. Uh, but beyond that, I cannot right now think of any other oi pronunciation, any other spellings that would yield an oi pronunciation. Right. I mean, something like boy. Uh, right. Yes. Uh, but still, it's got the O-Y in it, so right. that counts. So uh, it's certainly a diphthong that we use, and it's one that is represented by the word choice by J.C. Wells. And he says in his book that there's not much variation between General American and RP, that it's pretty stably the same. Uh, Sorry, the dog just picked up. I'm, I'm, I'm recording today with my dog right next to me, and he just stuffed his head under my laptop and lifted it <laughs> off my lap. <laughs> He's saying, uh, pet me in a very loud voice, so I'm going to make him go lie down. Go lie down, Murphy. That's good, and I have uh, mask characters gallivanting outside of my door so we may get further interruptions okay there we go i think so, that's why people tune in to listen to us is for yeah. mass characters oh, yeah. and dogs <laughs> so uh shall i talk a little bit about the history take us for a wee tour of the history of the oi diphthong so it it's actually quite complicated uh but you can see oy spellings or oi spellings mostly coming into English from Old French. That there are... That spelling tells us that they came from that source. The history of the French pronunciation of the diphthong and the English pronunciation of the diphthong are a little bit different. In English, in Old English, there was an O-I and an U-I, U-I and O-I. And they both developed pretty straightforwardly towards oi. There was also, as we talked about during Price, there was an e that shifted towards a, towards i, 
And in a couple of cases, it kept on shifting until it became oi. I can't. Act, I think coin might be one of those. Uh, I think employ might be as well. Uh, both employ and imply come from a Latin root that came through French, and then the different meaning split off into two pronunciations. But in all the cases that I can think of, the spelling in English got changed to reflect the new pronunciation. Right. There's a good example of this in Romeo and Juliet. Uh, the chorus says, from forth the fatal lines of these two foes. And it's spelled loins, but there was a, an implied pun, lines and loins, from forth the fatal lines of these two foes. There was no distinction in pronunciation between L-I-N-E-S and L-O-I-N-S. Ah. Uh, you know, sprung from the lines of someone. Right. Uh, so, in French, there's another uh, vowel shift that happened, I think, in the 17th century, uh, which was the O-I or O-Y spelling uh, was... A, uh, and so the French for king is roi, spelled R-O-I, and the French for queen is reine, is that right? R-E-I-N-E. The Spanish for king is re, R-E-Y. And so there was certainly a point in the development of French where the king was pronounced re, uh, or even re. Uh, and there was a little w in there as well. And in the mid-17th century, when the king and everybody was at Versailles and the Parisians were making money, I guess, <laughs> not at the court, <laughs> uh, there was a distinction, a sort of class distinction between the fancy kingly version of Vive le Roi and the Parisian Vive le Roi. Uh, I also have the impression that Roy was one of the possible pronunciations and that the development of Roi in French is the pronunciation of moi and Roi and any number of OI words is actually late 18th century. Huh. Uh, that it, it was closer to the English for quite a long time. Uh, that is news so to me. I did not know about that. The king was Leroy. For a long time. And I think that you, if you go to a production of King John, first of all, you're very lucky because there aren't very many. Uh, the, 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 the Dauphin says, have not these islanders called out Vive le Roy? Often the tradition is to pronounce it Vive le Roy to mark that Elizabethan pronunciation. Yes. But I don't know if that comes from any rhymes existing in Shakespeare that would rhyme... Roy with boy. I'll have to go back and figure that out. So, there's the history. The history arrives us at this very stable spelling equals pronunciation, so we don't have to worry about the history at all. Uh, and we can just say the French people pronounce it funny. Uh, we talked a little bit about the sounds of the most common pronunciation, oi. Uh, talk us, to us a little bit about the phonetics of that, just to be clear for everyone. So the, 
the symbols that we expect to see. That's what we're talking about when you say the phonetics of it. Yes. Uh, the the symbols we expect to see that historically we you know the the sort of phonemic choice that people use is uh, an uh, an open O symbol, the turned C, mm -hmm. followed by a small capital I. Um, and so if we did that sort of literally, oi, oi, um, uh, I think many people have a, a little bit of frustration with that because their personal realization of the o sound is quite, uh, quite open. Mm -hmm. uh, o, o, oi, and the i quite, again, quite centralized perhaps, oi. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I know you and I both read a, a recent... Uh, blog post by Jeff Lindsay where he he did a little trick where he took bits and pieces from uh, Wikipedia and he put those together and it sounded very odd because the Wikipedia entry for the it is very centralized and so mm -hmm. it was sort of uh, oi, oi. <laughs> uh, it sounded very far from any standard accent that you might expect to use as, as, as an example like RP or general American um, so that that's an interesting thing. I think when we think of where the, those phonemic traditions of using that symbology comes from traditional RP uh, mm -hmm. and and then versions of General American. I think sometimes our students' frustration with us telling them that it's o e comes partially from the fact that they're accustomed to the spelling, as we've just discussed, being an O followed yes. by an I often. And it just seems like that's what it ought to be phonetically. Yes. And is, there's also the dictionary form, I think, for some people, sort of an exaggerated OI. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, that if I'm, uh, I'm exaggerating for someone to understand me, they'll say, uh, not ba, by, I said boy. <laughs> And they'll make it more like O going to E. Right. So when you're modeling it for clarity, you might overemphasize the O-ishness. Yes, yes. Unless you're Flava Flav, in which case you would say, yeah, boy. And you would make it almost to an Boy, o. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that happens to me a lot. A lot of people confuse me I, with Flava Flav. I, I can understand why. Yes. So... Uh, Yes, our archetype in terms of the phonemic representation and the phonetic symbolic representation is open O, small, lower, small capital yeah. I. And just like we ran into with Price, there can be some drifting around of the nucleus, the starting point, and the coda, the falling off point. So I certainly know, and I think this came from studying the phonetics of it, I have a terrible habit when speaking classical text of unrounding and opening that first element a lot. Ah. Uh, I've, uh, last time I acted, I heard myself saying, voice. Voice. The, the voice of Denmark. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, and in fact, there, there are certainly accents where, uh, like Jamaican, where V-I-C-E and V-O-I-C-E are nearly homophonic. Uh, he's got a good vice. Right. Although I think that in fact in realization the O-I pronunciation gets a little labialization. So you get 
voice and mm-hmm. vice, so there would be a distinction. Right. But there is certain there are accents where the first element is unrounded. I tend to think of that unrounded part as super fancy. Right. Uh, and I, I certainly, when I first got my mouth around <laughs> opening up, oi, oi, as opposed to oi, because I think growing up I, I probably had a very rounded, very tight oi sound yeah. in my own speech. I think uh, for me too. So I really embraced this oi, oi <laughs> sound. I think it made me feel like I sounded sophisticated. So, yes, I think I, I overdid that a little bit. So, um, you know, and as somebody who's trying to model other sounds for people, sometimes I overdo it. Well, we've talked about that before. The the voice teacher sometimes models a sound that's actually past the target in order to get students to to drag them towards that perceptual or or performative. Uh, Target. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I th- I think I've erred the wrong way. Now, I mean, do we hear people who have much too tight oi? Uh, or well, when I'm working with people, yeah, I think sometimes that they are aiming more for an o going to an e. Would you um, say, as we had with Price, that the closing of the first element? probably also has a closing of the second element too. Yes, yeah, so it's like your jaw is, is elevated closer to your hard palate, oi, oi. Yeah, and, and in fact, this actually is a really good point about oral posture. Very often when I want students to adopt uh, a little bit of class shift without particularizing a sound, just having distance between the molars changes the the feeling of the sound yeah. and it does it in this instance by making oi into oi so the target is shifted by a shift in oral posture right so we could round and close the first element more we could open it and unround it more i suppose we could centralize it uh voice those boys and I couldn't tell you what accent that lives in. Well, in Newfoundland, there's a very famous song, Eyes a Bay that Builds a Boat. Uh, ah, and so instead of uh, uh, the by for boy, I and by rhyme. Well, that seems to have bi. come from Irish influences. Yeah, absolutely. There's huge Irish influence in these lands. Uh, yeah, bio. Uh, it, it's also true, by the way, that... Uh, Boil and uh, bile came from the same root, B-I-L-E and B-O-I-L. Although there were two meanings for boil, one the skin condition and the other the condition of a pot on the stove. Yes. And those were separate meanings, I think with separate spellings, and they merged. Mm. Uh, Because it makes sense that a, a skin irritation would erupt and boil over. They, mm. they, they sort of blended together. I'm not sure where that came from. I Please don't check my sources on that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the second element then. So we could raise lower front, but not really back, the first element. Mm. We could raise the second element, boy, 
I suppose I could open the first element and close the second element by, by, but it's a little harder to do. It's too wide a distance. Oi, oi. Yeah, you get more of that kind of what we, when we talked about, ah, ah, ow, getting kind of twangy as you cross the midline. Oi, oi. You get that kind of twang quality. Yeah. So the, in addition to raising, I suppose you could uh, lower the second element. Uh, often accompanied by centering, so we get yeah. sort of oa, oa. And that's really a feature of the American South. Yep. Uh, uh, my daddy's in the all business. Uh, well, what you doing, boy? Uh, so those, that's a really an effect of the second element. And I might even transcribe that as a centralized lowercase e, boy. Yeah. I also might put a brev mark above it or two brev marks above it to really say, I, I, my students have been encountering this a lot lately because they're transcribing each other. Mm. And sometimes there's a diphthong which is smoothed, that is turned into a monophthong, so much that you could swear there's no second element, but you can hear it. Mm. <laughs> and maybe it's because you expect to hear it, but it's just that tiny little tail of relaxation at the end. That's enough for us to read it as a diphthong. Yeah. So in price vowels, uh, my pa likes pie. The second element, there's enough information there for me right. to read it as a price vowel. Yeah. Uh, and I suppose I could do the same with uh, voice. voice. Uh, and you might, in fact, inflect a second element so that you might get a uh, voice uh, so that <laughs> yes. you sort of put a little lilty quality that, that we perceive as being diphthong quality. Okay, this is very inside baseball, but it's, I'm thinking about this a lot right now. Let's say that a person has said, we'll use choice, Chaws, chaws, and they haven't done really any change in the vowel quality, uh, but they have changed the pitch. How would you transcribe that? Oh man! <laughs> I suppose you could do the angled down arrow yeah. right, af right after the vowel, so that you're so a length mark and an intonation mark. Yeah, maybe. I think so. It's finally it doesn't matter, but it, it's interesting. And and my students are right at the point where they're saying, "I need to know. I need to know the answer," which is great. Uh, so, second element can disappear. All voice. It can be very light. It can be lowered. Uh, it could be raised, as we said before, and that usually comes together with the first element being raised. Any of these sounds could be nasalized, I suppose. Choice, choice. Choice. You're more likely to have it on a word like noise yeah. following a nasal consonant. Uh, although I do find that there, there, there are plenty of accents or speakers who would nasalize front vowels and high vowels, but not nasalize back vowels and things that are open. Because as you're opening your jaw down, you're probably lifting your velum as well. Yes. So much 
more likely to have a nasality on an E vowel than on something like an A. Yeah. So there was another thing that doesn't strictly land in choice, uh, but really is part of nurse uh, that I thought mm. we might want to talk about. Uh, and that is, there is a near merger in some accents between nurse and choice. Uh, and it's usually exemplified by saying, by respelling choice as cherse, C-H-E-R-C-E, and uh, burnt as boint. Yeah. So toilet would be turlet. Right. And nurse would be noise. noise. Yes. In reality, or what was actually, you had uh, one that you quoted from Amy Stoller's uh, uh, signature line. Yes, uh, it's uh, called uh, Brooklynese Champion, 1926. I thought the winner had been found the day I heard a woman make the butcher cut, off, cut her off a pound of fine and juicy soylern steak. Imagine then a dizzy whirl that through my head did swiftly surge the day I heard a gifted girl who wished departing friends bon verge. <laughs> uh, I view that with deep suspicion. Uh, I'm it's not funny, though. It's hilarious. Hilarious. Certainly there are accents, and certainly uh, a sort of older New York City accent, and I, we'd have to have Amy weigh in on this, but I'm assuming that it's more of an Irish characteristic than other ethnic groups within New York. The, and it's exemplified by Archie Bunker on All in the Family, uh, that that merger isn't complete, but it's close. So, right. toilet, toilet. And really, when you think about nurse being realized close to choice, what you're really saying is that the the nurse set in a lot of non-rhotic accents is the only one that retains roticity. So you'd get stat to make a choice. Uh, sorry, stat the second verse. Right. Stat verse. It's already more close anyway, and it's easier to put some roticity in there. But that Roticity, what Dudley Knight calls the rotic zone, mm -hmm. uh, as the vowel gets close enough that it's producing that rotic characteristic, is awfully close to a high central, a close central e, 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 a barred I. So I might transcribe uh, nurse as a, e, that is to say, lower than schwa, epsil, a reversed epsilon, barred I. Oi, oi. Nice. Which is not the same as oi. Uh, it's a more straight up and down rather than really wide front to back to front. And so perceptually, choice and chirse are the same. Uh, but in terms of realization, they're different. And as we just said, uh, it doesn't take much of the little shift into the close version for us to perceive that as a diphthong. So if I'm moving towards roticity and I say nurse, nurse, 
So we're coming back from a brief interruption of dogs having needs. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I was in the middle of saying, I was actually making a bit of a stretch in saying that the O, E, the choice distance is back to front on the vowel chart. Okay. And the realization of the old-fashioned New York City nurse is from below schwa to much higher than schwa, I, I. In that sense, it's just changing the angle, oi, oi. And that raising of the tongue is very similar to the bracing of roticity. Hmm. So, Now, is this based on on recordings or is it based on like a, an educated guess? Well, I certainly think that I've heard recordings of native speakers in in New York City, older speakers doing something like all right, all right. But I have never heard anybody do a full on turlet. Right. Or uh, what's, see, I keep on getting confused about which direction we're going. You see, the logic I've always had for it, and you know, I think that sometimes as accent people, we we have to kind of make sense of of the world around us. And yeah. the, the logic I've always followed was that New York was a non-rhotic accent. Mm -hmm. It didn't have R coloring for er, it had er, something like that. So close to what we expect of a non-rhotic British accent, er, yeah? Uh, and that this slowly evolved into a, a, a kind of a diphthong quality, ay, ay, that it, it was still non-rhotic in the sort of central plane of the the uh, mm -hmm. vowel chart, if you will, and so that the, the it started from a more open place and closed a little bit, ay, ay. so yeah. like an off glide a little bit, perhaps, ay, yeah. ay. and this started to sound a little bit like oi, uh, and uh, ay. so we had nice and we had choice, uh, yeah. and then uh, people started to be very aware of uh, that it was a non-rhotic accent, and uh, that uh, words like words and nurse, people started to be uh, aware of. So, so, so that we had this merger of nice and choice words that started to be similar. Uh, and then people became aware, you know, stigmatized for being non-rhotic, so they started to say nurse with firm R, it still had choice, uh, but then there was a hyper-correction that would happen, uh, that the er would get applied where oi had been before because this near-merger was happening. So yeah. we were getting ersters and the, the like. So I can see that. It's possible. A, a further hyper-correction was happening where we actually get something like soy learn steak where uh, sir switches to soy and loy becomes learned. I yes. think that so, happened in the mind of a the, journalist. Or a poet, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, so, but uh, it, we don't have to use that example. We can take, uh, so that uh, oi became er and er became oi, so we got, uh, we, we, we already had noise from before. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we had oyster becoming erster. So the, the, let's call the whole thing off. You say oyster, I say erster. That, that's a hypercorrection and not, right. and not a... Or a misunderstanding by an outsider of what, how the rules really work. Right. Uh, 
I do think people did say Erster, you know, uh, that there are there are examples of people saying. Were some, they saying Erster? Were they see, saying Erster? Erster. Or is there Ery close enough to Er? Hmm. I also think, by the way, that the Ery of Nurse. Nurse usually in non-rhotic accents does sit somewhat outside of the other rhotic possibilities, and it tends to behave differently in in Welsh, in Boston, and so it's not surprising to me that there would be some version of roticity in nurse that would be realized as a. That part of it is separate from what you're saying. It's the, it's the moving of choice words into the er, category, right, uh, and. To the degree that that happened, and I think you're right that it did happen to some degree. Uh, it's not just people misunderstanding and misrecording it. Uh, it might have happened completely. The people would say they're oysters. That's right. what we call them. Gingers. Yeah, I, I'm just. <laughs> we need to. I think of Amy Stoller as our uh, resident expert. expert. So maybe she'll send us a. An explication. Amy Stoller, we're calling. You. <laughs> uh, all right, good. I think we've covered that, but we haven't said that it's also true in some African American vernacular English accents, for example, like Louisiana. Uh, I heard about that. So it, that's a similar thing. Hey. Through the grapevine, perhaps. Yeah, I heard it through the grapevine. And we already talked about yard roticizing that people will sometimes say instead of community, community, there's a similar thing, that the y and the r are similar in behavior. So instead of uh, uh, instead of nurse, you get nurse. Uh, it's similar to roticity, but it ends up landing more as an i. And so you do get a hurried it's interesting that those are separate places, but they're both non-rhotic accents that right. have innovated this realization. Right. If you think of, uh, from at least from my point of view, someone who makes roticity from more like a curling action of my tongue, that if you don't think of the tongue making that action, right, is that your R's are molar R's, mm -hmm. or, or then when you try to roticize a vowel that's never been rhotic for you, mm -hmm. you may, you know, mid-centralize it, and going from there, mid-close it, I guess, would be... I don't know if I necessarily go along with the notion of, the, of this being an error caused by attempting to roticize something. Mm. I just think that it's a natural development out of the way that roticizing happens, that it... it you don't have to be much off target on er to get er. Right. Uh, and so it, it could be that it's because of this reflection back and forth between rhotic and non rhotic communities, or it could just be the natural development. And I'm not enough of a linguist to be able to even figure out how we'd figure it out. Right. Or maybe it can't be figured out. Yeah. JC Wells, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think we may have exhausted the choice diphthong. 
it's not a big one. No. Uh, and it is our last. Uh, what do we have on the docket for the future? Mm. I'm going to have to tap away on my keyboard for a second. All right. Figure that well, out. I will then speak without any firm knowledge as though I know what I'm talking about. I believe that we have done centering diphthongs after a fashion. Mm -hmm. uh, that we've done start, and we've done near, and we've done square. Right, because we did them as part of episode 31 on vowel R centering diphthongs. Um, so really, uh, in terms of, um, we, we might go into, our next vowel might be to talk about um, things like shui and shwu. That mm -hmm. was something we talked about the final E sound we get in words like pretty. Yeah, I, um, and J.C. Wells uses happy, and I don't think he introduced into, but into is has been used as the unstressed oo sound. Right. Um, yeah, so those could be uh, worth a, a little think um, as our next vowel. And um, we chatted, you and I, about the possibility of talking about perhaps consonant clusters yes. as something to, to take on as our next consonant. So um, we, we might tackle that. Good. I'll, I'll ask my students what they need. In fact, they were just asking about non-pulmonics, and I was able to say, We've just posted an episode which will go through that. So right. anybody listening, either a student or somebody who has students, if there's something you'd like us to really lay out there, please let us know. That would be great. So the best way to do that is to email us at glossonomia at gmail.com. So we look forward to hearing from you. Wonderful. All right, Eric, I will talk to you at the next go-round. Thank you so much. Have a great week. You too. Bye. Bye.